0: Hello listeners, and welcome to Spectres, a podcast about producing music while haunted by ghosts. Set to a backdrop of evolving otherworldly soundscapes, today we'll be haunted by what we might call the ghost in the algorithm. As I mentioned in the introductory episode, each installment of this podcast will centre around a different song from my new mini-album Why, and the themes of ghostliness that that song explores. So today we'll be diving into Cambridge, Massachusetts, the first single from that record. It's a single that I released a few weeks back. Uh, It's got a brilliant video directed by Gina Hobson that you can find online on YouTube if you haven't seen it yet. And Gina did an amazing job of exploring the musical and lyrical themes of that song uh, in the visual format through the video. So if you want a visual partner to today's podcast, that might be a nice place to start. But you might be wondering why the ghost in the algorithm? What is ghostly about that? And I think the idea of the ghostliness of technology and technological advancement isn't new. Um, we can think of the idea of a ghost in the shell, um, and dating further back, the ghost in the machine, um, which is perhaps a more philosophical concept. But I think there was something really ghostly about the way that the advancements in technology and data analytics, data science, are beginning to shape and uh, remake and control um, aspects of our lives and our society uh, in the everyday. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about what I mean by that as we kind of go through some of the lyrical ideas that I explore in the song. So this song, Cambridge, Massachusetts, the instrumental is faintly playing in the background now. Um... This was my way of processing my feelings of living in today's digital society. Uh, And it's really about the commodification of, I guess, identity within the digital society that we live in. So uh, to explain that a little bit more, um, the song was inspired by uh, a time back in early 2018 when I lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts for a few months. which is a part of Boston, for those who don't know. And Boston is a really interesting city, an amazing city. I I really loved my time there. Um, But something about the Cambridge area is quite, I guess, unsettling in some ways. And it felt quite emblematic of the systems of power that many people um, scrutinise, I suppose, in our everyday political and digital lives. It's basically this pretty tiny bubble full of really elite institutions, you know, top universities, Harvard's, MIT's, spin-off tech companies um, that you know, are being started by these people working in these environments. Uh, it's a hub of policy discussions because you have all these uh, powerful politicians and thinkers coming through. Uh, so it's like this hub of power where people are kind of figuring out their visions for the future of society. And those visions and those aspirations and the work that goes on there goes on to shape the future experiences of so many people in, in America and also around the world um, you know the decisions and innovations that are being undertaken and, and made in, in those contexts eventually you know shape the lives of uh, hundreds of thousands millions uh, if not billions of people around the world um, and so there are certain kind of like assumptions and power dynamics that end up getting built into digital, into much of the kind of innovation that's going on and, and the decisions on, about how to regulate those technologies. And often those technologies end up being ones that we use or that are used upon us on a daily basis and play a huge uh, part in shaping our everyday life. And to clarify, I don't think the people doing that innovation are ill-intentioned. Um, in fact, I think much of that work is is very laudable, but It's like this inherent tension of of representation kind of within that problem, right? You can have a small group of people trying to create ways to better society but in doing so end up baking in problems within uh, the kind of systems that they're creating to better society simply by virtue of the fact that they are a small limited demographic uh, that cannot be representative of society as a whole and there's this cyclical nature about it and i feel like that to sum up this song like for me it's, it's that like sense of being trapped and exhausted by the by a system that just feels like it's cyclical like issues and problems that are uh, you know i really want to prevent and stop happening but actually preventing them feels so out of control and out of my control because they feel so tied and embedded into the society around us and around me What is ghostly about technology and and the algorithm and this idea that we all have our online personas or online um, and not just personas that we create, but personas that are sort of created by others that are meant to represent us? You know, when you go online and you look at a certain website that might get noted, that information might get sold to a company who then targets you. Um, you're of a certain age range when you sign up to, well, let's say, Facebook, or and and you know you're you're single, you're married, you're uh, you live in this place, whatever it might be, like all those kind of um, those bits of information kind of get used to kind of construct this version of of you, um, and to me that is ghostly. Like I find the idea that data constructs versions of us that aren't us but are, like, these shadow versions really ghostly. Um, what's interesting to me is that those are like those shadow versions, let's just call them that for the sake of this, are the things that get, like, acted on often. You know, like, marketing, online targeting, uh, but also uh, just for decision-making processes in other institutions in society. And uh, there are so many good books on, on this that are available, uh, but I'll shout out one that I really enjoyed a few years ago by Kathy um, O'Neill. It's called Weapons of Math Destruction. I definitely recommend that. And data analytics models are often used for predictive purposes. So they're used to identify what someone will do on the basis of the, perhaps uh, other things that they, characteristics that they have, things that they like. Uh, it will, they might be used to predict what somebody might like. Uh, the other products they might like. So, for example, you know, if you like this kind of music, if you live in this area, you visited this website, then you'll probably like this product and, um, and so on. And this predictive aspect can have some really concerning aspects when it comes to, um, I mean, those applications, but more so applications in other areas uh, of society and some social institutions. So, for example, like the justice system, um, the investigative reporting website ProPublica, ran a story back in 2016 um, on a software that was, that was used in the US criminal justice system. And the software was used to assign a risk assessment score to criminal defendants. Uh, and that score was supposed to correspond to how likely it was that the defendant would go on to re-offend. And then those scores would be used by judges in making decision, decisions about sentencing or deciding the amount of bail that the defendant would need to pay. And ProPublica basically showed that because of the way the predictive model was set up, the way the data was collected and used, uh, and the issues of systemic racism within the US, the the model ended up giving disproportionately high risk scores to black defendants over white defendants. And this is obviously a major problem because it's incredibly dangerous if these um, predictive capacities end up embedding inequalities and making them even harder to challenge. And the, the questions that were used to guide the model in terms of coming up with these risk clause uh, included things like whether the defendant's parents had been arrested, whether their parents had separated and how old the defendant was at the time, uh, how many of their friends and acquaintances had been arrested or had served time in jail, or um, uh, whether their parents or friends had drug or alcohol problems, how often they had moved in the last 12 months, uh, whether. Some of their friends or family had been victims of crime. Uh, whether the person had ever been suspended, or expelled from school, and I mean, there's more and more. There's 137 questions, I think, on this thing. And all, when you think about all these things being used data points to construct a risk score, it's it's really concerning because those those levels of um, already existing inequality get embedded and then become really hard to challenge. When they're just outputting a score. And I think, you know, that actually happens quite a lot in data analytics models and processes that are being kind of uh, applied to us on a a much less, let's say, insidious or obviously insidious um, basis than something as as concerning as this. Um, And uh, to me, there's just, yeah, as I've already said, there's something really ghostly about that, you know, the ghostliness of data that actually ends up kind of shaping our world, like these shadow versions of ourselves which are used um, in order to predict our behavior and what we might do. And this ghostliness is something I hint at in the opening verse of Cambridge, Massachusetts uh, the song, where I say we live in a city that runs on our lives, it counts us in packets and bits it classifies and stitches us together to make capitalized, self-iterated and commodified. Uh, and, And for me that's you know, that is this idea of living in a city. I mean, now we have like smart cities and there's all these data uh, data points being created, um, data about us being formed as we go through and interact with loads of different technologies. Um, and those things kind of are counted, they are classified, uh, they are then used, these disparate points are stitched together to kind of create a, uh, you know, this idea, of a shadow version of us um, that is then capitalized uh it can be commodified it can be used to uh, generate profit and production and so on and so you have this kind of iteration of our of you know ourselves in these kind of ghostly forms in in data uh, and those iterations it's interesting because I think they kind of slowly you know they get updated they get uh, refined in the eyes of uh, uh, those people using them people targeting us like you know you want to fine-tune them and get them even more accurate and so on and I might just quote something here uh, it's from a paper that I really enjoyed it's actually an academic paper by um, a political geographer I think uh, named Louisa Moore uh, and I, I just found it really interesting I read it many years ago but it stuck with me because I feel like it, it can really just it really explains what I'm trying to get at so much better than I ever could. So if you're interested, the paper's called Data Derivatives and you can find it online and essentially it's uh, about the use of um, data analytics in border control. So um, it kind of looks at the example of a uh, program called eBorders that the UK had, uh, I think probably about a decade ago now, where um, they were uh, used various bits of data to identify um, and flag risk scores for people coming in and out of a country. Um, in relation to things like um, terrorism and so on. So I'm just going to quote from the opening of that paper now uh, where she paints a picture of um, the software developers for this e-borders program. In a quiet London office a software designer muses on the algorithms that will make possible the risk flags to be visualized on the screens of border guards from Heathrow to St Pancras International. There is, he says, real-time decision-making, to detain, deport, to secondarily question or search, but there is also the offline team who run the analytics and work out the best set of rules. Writing the code that will decide the association rules between items of data, prosaic and mundane, flight route, payment type, passport, the analysts derive a novel preemptive security measure. And then she basically talks about this idea of a data derivative which is like a risk flag which is drawn from all these different bits of data, like you know, passport type, what food you ordered on the flight, who bought your ticket, um, and it then creates like a, a set of futures. Like, what is this person going to do based on all these bits of data? And what's interesting is like this got me thinking because she she makes a link to the financial crisis. Like one of the issues, which I think if you ever saw the movie The Big Short, right, you had all these derivatives being traded in the financial markets where you had. Um, let's say you had um, you know you trade instead of just trading a stock you trade on, on whether or not the stock is going to increase or decrease and then you trade on the derivative of that and to and when you kind of take that over and over again you get to a level where like the thing itself has just disappeared it's just the sets of relations between everything that is left like you, all you're trading on is, is like the the relationship of one very random thing to a relationship or another random thing but you're not trading on the actual value of the stock anymore in any way really um, and I think the same thing happens to identity within you know all these data analytics uh, models that use use all these data points about us you know we the, the kind of core of us get a bit lost as these iterations of these shadow selves come to the fore and so this thought process of like this focus on relations is actually what helped guide me uh, construct my shadow version of the song, which I'll talk about in just a moment. But before I do that, I just want to reiterate that, for me, this song is so much about just the feeling of um, living in this digital society where we are being, or I am being acted upon by these um, these uh, data processes and these algorithms, um, but also kind of being a part of the, those systems by myself creating data points that then feed out into that system um, and then you know as I've already discussed like grappling with the fact that I'm kind of trapped in this tension where I'm potentially creating more issues and problems and uh, inequalities just by being and being part of that system while also wanting to sort of fight that system and, and you know like bring down the institution as the song says but then actually kind of creating a new institution that ends up just sort of taking the place of the former one And, you know, therein lies the irony and the inherent tension of when you become an artist, you are an artist trying to reach an audience and you have an an imagined audience or an envisioned audience that you are trying to sell a product to as much as you don't want to think of your music as a product. It is still something that can be turned, and you do turn into a commodifiable entity to reach an audience. And what does that mean for you? You know, how complicit does that make you? Um, So all these things were kind of bouncing around. And it is interesting with the coronavirus pandemic uh, ongoing now that, you know, people are talking about this, these visions for, like, a post-COVID era where perhaps we do remake the systems that we live in and um, maybe we can make them more democratic and so on. And obviously that remains to be seen. But um, those aspirations... It's, it's interesting that there is this potential of like, can we break out of that cycle of, you know, the tension of the institution repeating itself? So... Uh, who knows at this point. But for me, this song is not at all in any way meant to be like a preachy sort of this is the way that things need to be. It's completely just a distillation of what it feels like for me. Like most of this song came just from the experience of being like online and just feeling like there's constantly messages thrown at you. So many messages that in order to act on the messages, all of them is just impossible. But the feeling sometimes of being online you know instagram twitter these endless feeds of information is that everything is important at once all at once and yet not important at all because it's like oh it's 140 figures it's trivial and so like for me it's like for that section the feeling was like you know, oh my gosh, we need to take political action. This is what this is what happened. This is a question of politics. Oh, this is a question of religion. Religion is a, is an issue here. This is what's creating religion. This is a question of communication. We need to communicate better. Oh, this is affecting democracy. Or science has the answers. Or no facts. Or oh no, this is just opinion. And you've got this endless stream of information. It's impossible for all of it to hold water at once, um, and it's kind of like. And, and maybe that's okay maybe there's disharmony and that's alright but like it's exhausting it's this feeling of like and, and then sometimes it's like oh no it's not a question at all some people are like no this is a, a, a clear line a line in the sand a black and white line like this isn't a question this is an answer <laughs> like you have all of these different ideas competing for attention so in one respect that was about like the attention economy but then in another respect um, you, you know you as a as a person could be like you know you're targeted according to your maybe your politics or your religion or kind of your ideas, your science your opinions, the kind of facts you ascribe to and then the person you become isn't a question anymore the person you become is like the entity that is being targeted I guess so. So now I want to pivot to the second part of this podcast, which is the ghosted version of Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, the ghosted audio. What does ghostly audio sound like? And particularly ghostly audio if we're using the principles and ideas that you know I've been talking about as a guide to creating sound. And given this is the first full episode of this podcast, uh, it's a bit of a special episode. Uh, so I'm going to have a guest on today. Uh, My guest is uh, producer Zar, um, also known as Aaron, who is also my cousin um, and plays actually in Holy 57 with me when we play play live. He plays drums for us um, and he also contributes and helps uh, give feedback during the mixing process and so on when we're creating the songs. Uh, So he's he's a really cherished, um, valued collaborator, friend, cousin, so family too. Um, and an incredibly talented producer as well. Um, I highly recommend listening to his uh, project, uh, Zar um, and Zar Deep actually, which is his collaboration with uh, rapper Mandeep. And Aaron is an amazing electronic music producer, um, he's really good at textures and kind of experimental ideas. So it's really exciting to have him on today because he's going to talk with me about what I've done. Uh, you know, he's got quite a bit of expertise in music production. So we can talk a bit about how uh, I've made the ghosted version of the song and I've also had Aaron make his version, his ghosted version of the song. Um, so today we're going to be able to talk about two different approaches to ghostliness and see how they end up embod- embodied in sound. Like where do those approaches take us and what results do we get? So welcome Aaron. Uh, Hi. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me on the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Um... Excited to get stuck into this idea of like ghosting a version of your track. Actually, before you play it, it'd be really cool to know how you went about producing it and like what your process was behind it. Um, it doesn't sound like something I would actually do myself and stuff. So yeah, uh, how did you do it?
0: <laughs> so the way I approached creating the ghosted version of Cambridge. Massachusetts is kind of interesting because I think it fits quite nicely with what we've been discussing and so I to explain I operated on this rule of like the the idea that within data sets you have just only sets of relations to other entities but like the entities themselves get completely lost right like that's kind of what we've been talking about like it's like this ends up the ghost is something where it's nothing but relationships to other things and being kind of altered or used by other things so I was like how can I create a song that operates by that rule and that's kind of what my starting point was Uh, and I'd be interested here as well how you approached it but like for me what that meant was like okay I can't change the stems like I'm gonna keep keep all the different parts of the song where they are like the guitars the bass everything is gonna stay where it is like because these are the things but basically everything in the track as a rule is like it can only be processed by something else in the song so in in music production uh you can use things like compression and gates and uh ducking and what those things do basically is they automate the volume of one part of the song using uh another part of the song so you can do what's called side chaining aaron knows this but i'm explaining this for the audience um and, and what that does is effectively, it chains one part of the song to another and it's beholden effectively to another sound. So what I did is in the song, I was like, okay, what happens if I basically make everything beholden to something else? Like everything's, the volume, like the, so there's like a bunch of gates and compressors and, and duckers on across the track that are effectively connected to another part of the song. And those iterations end up just folding in on themselves a million times because you have one thing ducking another thing which is actually ducking another thing which ends up ducking that one of the other things in the chain already. And you have this like crazy effect that happens. And then I kind of built on it a bit. I added like reverb on one or two stems just because I was like a, re- a reverb because in my mind a reverb is like an image of a sound already. So it's an image of, of itself. Its, its reference point is itself. So if it's if I'm using reverb on something, it's still kind of a ref, referencing referencing itself. Um, so I did use a couple of reverbs as well. And then the other thing I did was I fed one part of its audio into a modular synth. Um, well, not a real modular synth, but like a modular synth plugin. So like the audio was going through the modular synth. But then I also sent the audio into the CV parts of the modular synth, which are basically the parameters which um, are used to kind of change the sound so the it's this is like I can't even get my head around this part but the audio was using itself to apply a, like sine waves that were kind of or opening and closing gates It just like sounds bizarre for those listening, kind of the idea of a shadow song is like well how does it make us feel what does it make us think of like when we apply these concepts of ghostliness that we've been talking about like all these different fragments of data when we try and put them into like a musical context and actually transpose it into sound like what does it make us feel like what does it remind us of um so yeah i'm looking forward to playing this for you i know there is something it kind of reminds me of and we can talk about that and i should say that You know, given the process to create the sound as it is, it's quite an abstract listen, and uh, some people might find it quite uh, difficult to listen to all the way through. So if you do find that, it's about three and a half minutes long, so you can skip ahead to our conversation. But I would encourage you to listen to at least a little bit just to get a sense of how it sounds and feels. So here is my ghost of Cambridge, Massachusetts. (laughs) <laughs> and most recently you colonial land are in new in all sorts of sorts
2: of ways, sorts of ways. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, so that was uh, a, <laughs> it's terrifying <laughs> to listen to, <laughs> and uh, it's very bizarre. But um, yeah, as um, because we recorded it, I know when sp- certain parts of the track are meant to come in and out, and it's funny because it's not happening when I'm expecting them to. And yeah, it just it literally sounds like what I think a database would sound like if you went inside a machine, <laughs> and. <laughs> like it's fascinating isn't it and it's interesting to think that like
0: do it that applying the principles Hmm. of of what we were talking about to sound actually creates a feeling that maybe makes you think of sound like for me it was Mm -hmm. like overwhelmingly like radio static or yeah um, yeah i mean it it does feel like information overload because everything is just constantly competing yeah
1: and um just complete chaos like every everything is competing for your attention completely and you don't know what to focus on you don't know actually know what to um, what to give part, like importance to yeah because in a in a in a song traditionally there's a focal point and you know where to focus um, and or you can even selectively decide where you want to focus on but even if you try to do that with the version that you created you can't it's just so so much <laughs> yeah
0: it's just like endless and it's interesting as well like um playing with some of the parameters like the more um with like kind of particularly like the the mix like the amount that like i mix in the effect so like how much it was gating for example based on another uh another mm-hmm. track mm-hmm. it's like the more that you <laughs> you apply that the more as I guess as you expect the more just broken it it became and using the reverb as well it was interesting to like apply um, reverb and then apply gate to a reverb Mm. Um, I mean the end the end of the song rap parts where it's got like a gate applied to a reverb and it just sounds like a demon like (laughs) screaming
1: (laughs) it does it does it's uh, the database world has no chills (laughs) 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 it's it's just yeah sounds very Hellish. Yeah, <laughs> um, but that's that's uh, a really interesting way of doing it. Like I never, I've used side chaining a lot before, but like using gating to that extent, that's some weird artifacts. And also, I think it should be worth note- noting that like you did all that on your laptop, uh, like yeah, that was computer. using like digital, like digitally made plugins, and to make that effect, which I think is even more suitable. Like I'm wondering if you could could you even do that with analog hardware. You know, like would you be able to make such a digitally <laughs> such a digitally messed up sound? version <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, track, <laughs> but with analog gear instead instead of like the you know digital plug emulations that you can get um, but yeah that's that's a very interesting interesting way of doing it, and it's actually completely different to what I did yeah with I my mean, ghosted version
0: and I'd love to like hear about yours. I mean one of the things this has got me thinking about is just like how. Okay, when you like push these things to their extreme, as as we did here, like mm. it obviously comes out sounding like really quite bizarre. But mm. like that experimentation at the heart of that, I think actually there's some really there could be some really interesting ideas for a song if you like scale it back and actually then think, okay, how could I use gating and and compression in this way to create something mm-hmm. that just sounds really different, and mm-hmm. and then form an actual song around that. That is definitely something that actually I came away thinking like, oh, I wouldn't mind trying something like this at some point in the future. Obviously, I don't want the whole song to sound like that. It would be maybe like <laughs> one one piece of audio um, yeah. that I then kind of use as maybe a loop or whatever. But mm. I'd be interested to hear as well, like what insights your yeah your approach gave you both like to data, as we've said, like this kind of just feels like information overload, um, mm. but also gave you to like music production and creative creativity sure
1: yeah um yeah so this is uh my version uh my ghosted version of Cambridge MA uh just uh, just take it as it comes <laughs> i have no idea what i made with this yeah okay that was that was my ghost my ghost version of cambridge
0: <laughs> i mean yeah that was that was insane i mean I know. it's really cool actually doing this because as like people as producers like this is something that i feel like this this kind of exercises pushes you into this territory where you wouldn't normally go like you kind of pushing you to the extreme in terms of the way you would normally um kind of edit your sound uh, process them like you wouldn't ever really want to go so far and do the, like down that rabbit hole and over process them. But like by <laughs> doing that, it's like you, it's interesting just be in that space and explore the possibilities that unlocks, you know, definitely. And definitely. like hearing that, I mean, so for me that, that felt like a few things at parts, it reminded me a bit of like a soundtrack. Like there was, um, there's a movie, uh, John Bryan, who's an amazing uh, musician. He's done quite a few uh, scores for movies as well. Um, he, his score, I think it's for Magnolia. Mm. Um, there's these bits where it kind of it's quite warped and it sort of feels a bit like y- you know you're kind of like spiraling out of control a bit mm. and there was aspects that sort of reminded me of that of elements of, of a movie soundtrack mm. also just kind of felt like spiraling through some kind of drug trip or acid trip or something <laughs> yeah um. but yeah so tell, tell me what what you how you made it and also what like it makes you feel and think
1: so, I right, So I made this like last night, the night before recording the podcast, and I was chatting to um, my girlfriend Tash about like what, how am I gonna, how how can I approach this? Because I, I literally had no idea. The whenever I was contemplating this idea of like ghosts, all I could think about was like your like traditional like you know ghost. <laughs> Like, just cartoon yeah. ghost, Casper, whatever. And I was like, no, there's got to be something more deep deeper to this. Like, I can't just, like, make a cartoon version or whatever. Um, so I made, like, a really big mind map. And um, just about what, what, what does it mean? What does ghostliness mean? And I distilled it down to... Ghosts are an essence of something that once was alive. And now it has remnants or elements of the thing which when you see it you recognise what it is but there's something off about it there's there's something different and but there's still elements that you recognise about like what a ghost is and mm. um, <clears throat> I also thought like took I took it a bit more literally in terms of like ghost folklore in terms of like this idea that a ghost is a wandering spirit that has been has it has entered into this like limbo land. Isn't quite alive, isn't quite dead, um, but is still searching for something and doesn't have any um, or uh, like sort of conc- uh, not conclusion, but like um, there's no resolve, there's no um, completeness to whatever they're they're searching for. Like they're just constantly mm. there. So I was just thinking like how can I turn that into sound and I thought that the best way I could do that was by taking the stems that you've sent me and then at one point bit so you saw it in the Ableton project file like I had marked <laughs> I marked to the middle song death here. <laughs> So,
0: I, <laughs> so I, I cracked up. He, he, so while we were doing this podcast, we screen shared to, to show each other like the projects we're using in terms of like so we could see how we produced it. And there's just a marker like at that point where the song just
1: explodes and goes insane. <laughs> that just says "song death here." Yeah, <laughs> I just burst out laughing. It. it just but that's how I thought about it. I was like, well, I I didn't know how I could make. I'm really into this idea of like whenever I produce music, off like making things feel like they're happening along a journey or um like nothing's ever mm. static and yeah um i kind of just i took that same approach with this i was like well i don't know how i could make something sound ghostly it by itself but i know how to get from point a to point b of being like well this thing mm. used to be alive, so what happens when it dies so that's how i approached this track i was like the song's gonna die <laughs> quote unquote mm. and what happens at that point. So that's that's what happened at the beginning where like, it sounds like it's just the track. And then when the drum fill kicks in, everything just kind of disintegrates. And that yeah. was my idea of like what the ghostliness of it was. And there was there were still parts of like the stems where you would hear it and you'd recognize, oh, that was the melody, but I pitched it down or like, oh, that was like the drum track, but I'd heavily like compressed it. And I just completely washed it in like reverb and like repeating delays. Hmm. But not to the point where it overwhelmed you, but, like, you could still hear its texture there, so it still existed, but it wasn't... Yeah, but it wasn't, like, this recognisable element, even though the essence of it was still there, i.e. the drum track. Yeah. And I basically just applied that same logic to every single one of the stems. And um, But then to not make it sound so overwhelming, I did, I did make it sound... Try and make it fit into, like, a song. So that's why I think it sounds a bit like a soundtrack, like it's constantly moving, because I didn't want, mm. actually, the parts to... There's still some sort of balance in the ghost. Like, it's not, like, this completely scattered, um, disintegrated, disorganized thing. Even though it has elements of, like, disorganization and scatteredness, it still functions as, like, the essence of a thing. And ghosts still have that. They still have that essence of a thing. Hmm. But when I was brainstorming, like, what ghosts are, I also realized that the opposite is true. Like, ghosts can be a thing, like... What did I write here? A ghost can be like something that looks the same but acts differently. So, i.e., you see a ghost of some, of a relative, and mm. you recognise them because they look the same, but they act differently. Like this, this person didn't actually act like that in when they were alive. Yeah. But the, the opposite is also true. Like a ghost can be something that looks completely different but acts the same. And that's things like yeah. that's things like um spirits or like feeling I don't know entities or presences like.
0: Yeah, the idea that like somebody's embodied in a different, oh, somebody, somebody's mind is living in a different body, mm. but kind of classic ghost in the shell or ghost in the machine mm. idea. And also, actually, this will relate to maybe later episodes of this podcast, but um, I find like there's a ghostliness to dreams and people in dreams. Mm. And I don't know if you ever have dreams, but somebody you know someone as someone, but they look like someone else mm-hmm. in your dream. Mm-hmm. That happens, so all like, yep. exactly, happens all the time. Yeah, exactly.
1: Happens all the time. Yeah. Um, but that—that's essentially how I approached it, and I—I um, th- I hope it came across. Like I—I th- I think it did. Like it was. I—I I think at, every, at each point in the track, you will hear something uh, as in the original. We'd be like, "Oh yeah, that was the vocal melody. Oh yeah, that was the yeah. guitar line. Oh yeah, that was this. That was that." But it's beyond recognisable. Yeah. To the point. But like, if it, when you put it all together. Um, it it forms the essence of the track so and i i I did use a lot of like reverb and delay and i guess that's kind of like an easy (laughs) easy way out of like ghosts reverb i don't know but it's um i don't know that's how i that's how i approached it um yeah i mean
0: it's i mean really thought-provoking because it's it made me think of a, a few things Well, one was like as the you know you talked about being a living being and like there were times where it felt weirdly a bit more comforting and there were times where it was like okay this is kind of like the dark part of the trip mm. like <laughs> and but then also <laughs> the way you've described it it's interesting because i feel like you mm. know where we were i like, had these like two i like slightly different stances or perspectives earlier where you were saying like okay what if for me it was like oh can you like the i my approach was like everything is like relations relations and there's actually nothing like for me it was like the traditional of oh, a ghost in the shell the ghost in the machine idea is the fact that there is this like you know there is a conscious soul within like you know a body you know ghost in the shell the idea of transferring a mind to a new body but that mind is something mm. that mind is still something whereas for mine my, my approach was like well what happens if like that that core doesn't exist anymore and the only thing that is left is relations between things yeah and your approach was actually what happens if we just say it hold to like the core mm-hmm. that one core is there but it's fragments of that core it's mm-hmm. so echoes of that core mm-hmm. um and and it's like an interesting how like those two approaches and different perspectives actually produce quite different sounds yeah um, definitely definitely yeah
1: using like plugins as i said before like with what you did like that i think really contributes to the sound of make of having like this digital terrain of a mm-hmm of chaos like I just like if you think about the samples in terms of like in, in, on the laptop and stuff like they're all just bits like yeah. they're all just bits pa- and, packets and bits packets and bits and um, <laughs> I just I essentially destroyed like what I, or I rewrote actually just thinking in terms of like how it's stored on my computer yeah. on the hard drive I just rewrote the ones and zeros and um just change the order of them and isn't that ghostliness in some respect like
0: Mm. it's like not being so beholden to what is alive which is interesting because for me this taught me like you know you you spend ages crafting a song that you love Mm. And then what was interesting... Something I've always liked doing, actually, and I do this with my songs, is I kind of try... I almost like kill kill, my, kill your baby. So yeah, so, so, yeah. You know, kill. <laughs> like, where you have, you know, a song that I like, and then I'll pull that... I'll kind of take a part of that song, and I'll say, I'm going to completely affect it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a finished song, and I'm going to turn that whole finished song into one tiny aspect of, anu- of, of another song. Yeah. Like... And there are certain... Like some songs I've written that actually haven't I never released and instead they end up being parts of uh, another song mm-hmm. like just a weird effect like it's like the whole song is just crushed or affected in some way to create an unusual sound. Mm-hmm. And it's like yeah, like the idea of like not being so beholden almost to your living self. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, a ghost it's like you you've kind of let go of your earthly being. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost an opportunity to remake something. Uh, movie makes something different.
1: Yeah. And, and when I was doing this, I was also, like, thinking about, you know, the phrase, like, you have to destroy to create? Mm. And I just felt like I was doing that totally. Like, I destroyed the track and in that process made something that didn't exist before, which was, like, really, really fascinating to me. Um, mm. And just in terms of, like, what I did more, like, production-wise, like, um, I at the point of like quote-unquote where the song dies (laughs) i just also i just automated um loads of um i I used a valhalla supermassive reverb which is a free plugin that you should all get if you're a producer because it's amazing and um it's uh i'm not sponsored by valhalla it's fine and (laughs) (laughs) and um we we i decided to um yeah just automate them all switching on at the same point where the song like dies um and then from that point onwards I also like affected the stems where I like pitched some of them down I was using a filter on the drums like I just automated it sweeping slowly across just to sort of like have this held back feeling of like being submerged um so I was also playing with this idea of um what happens to time when you die like does it reverse Mm -hmm. does it stop Does it like what what happens to it? Um like both from the perception of the ghostly entity itself and then also from like an alive entity witnessing, like perceiving the Mm. ghostly entity, like are there experiences of time different? Um so I was kinda playing with that idea by like doing a lot of like reversing (laughs) and like pitching up and down like the stems. Um And I'm quite glad you picked up on the fact of like um At times it sounded comforting, and then at other times it sounded scary because I kind of think that's like somewhat parallel to like life, just in terms of like it's not Mm. just one thing, it's the kind of everything all encompassed in one thing, and uh, those essences of those things still remain, I think, somewhat in a ghostly realm, maybe. Um, And. Yeah. So honestly, it was just a, a lot of fairly predictable, I guess, like reverbs and delays. Um, I didn't do I didn't do any sort of like gating as you did. Um, no sidechain, No side chaining. But I mean, it's partly because
0: you, yeah, because of your approach, it was like yeah. the philosophy that you started with, and I think that's the interesting aspect. Mm. It's just like. Yeah. trying that out what rules do you set up for or like what rules but I think sometimes it's nice to kind of set yourself some limitations and be like this is like the frame within which I'm working
1: yeah I th- I think a big like inspiration behind making this was like you know William Puszynski's uh, the, uh disintegration, disintegration tapes list. like yeah, it kind of gave me gave me that feel of like this thing just disintegrating over time and um mm so I was like somewhat using that as a bit of a reference
0: um, mm. one of the things I wanted to do I mean that's interesting because like his disintegration loops which are one of my favourite pieces of, of music um, probably one of my favourite ambient pieces of music of all time uh, they you know it, it's like a completely based on analogue tape disintegrating mm. like, like very literally and this is kind of like a digital way of doing it and one of the things I really wanted to do for mine but I, I couldn't because I was like I don't have the resources but the idea would have been, like, I would have liked to... What, I was thinking, what happens if I feed a machine learning algorithm the, all, all of the stems of this song and say, this is music, like, and then get the algorithm to create something based on... <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, that, you know, that is another way what, of...
1: That's a really interesting way of doing it, like, just taking it so literally. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Just, like, let's just literally get the algorithm to do that for us. And I feel like there's actually some, like, electronic artists, like... Um, I think Orteca made a whole album where they did that, right?
0: Oh, really? Yeah, I, d- I didn't realize that.
1: Yeah, I, th- I feel like they made an album, don't quote me on that, where they just use our algorithms and stuff just to make the pieces, um, um, which I think is quite interesting in itself. But I think the idea of that puts me off mm. of, like, off, off, yeah, off that a little bit, off too. of um, the music that's made, because I'm like, have yeah. you completely removed the human element of it? And. But then, like, what part... Like, where do you draw the line of the human element? Like, the human... Like, the person decided to... Let's use an algorithm to make the music. So there's the human element there. But then it's... At what point do you say, okay, well, the algorithm's now just doing the rest of the work, but does it still make it human because it's like a human made the decision to do that Yeah, because
0: i mean production nowadays is just like so much of it is digital you know processing and like you know we don't i mean we automate it like okay the human sets the automation but also compressors
1: automate volume themselves effectively that's what we are doing um that's true but it's how it interfaces with the person using it that makes it feel better like yeah. that's, that's what it comes down to right it's how you interface with these things and how it makes you feel like does it stir something in you and maybe like algorithmically produced music doesn't stir anything in me because i i don't get a a distinct feeling from it but it does for other people and that's fine Mm -hmm. like um but uh, there's actually a um there's this artist well they're not real they're on Bandcamp. you can find them they're called dada bots have you heard of them Uh, i haven't actually no so Dada Bots, it's spelled D A D A Bots B O T S. Um, they have a few albums on their Bandcamp where they've taken like um, it's machine learned, like they've fed in like this computer or whatever, like just Beatles songs, <laughs> just loads and loads of Beatles songs, and then they've told the computer write a Beatles song, okay. and it's the most terrifying thing you will ever hear because it's just like these, f- it's kind of like your yeah. yeah, it's just fragments of like the essence of like Beatles tracks. And it sounds really messed up. But um, yeah, I think that's something like the listeners should check out To that really encapsulates this, I think. Sums up kind of like using data in music like Dada. DadaBots yeah. is so strange. <laughs> it's so weird. Um, but yeah, check out the Beatles like Machine learn album that they've made. It's that's mad. terrifying. And it sounds like really radio static as well like okay, one right, did.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Well... That was a really enjoyable and interesting experience for both of us. <laughs> hearing the different aspects of ghostliness in the song, and I hope you listeners enjoyed. Um, well, maybe enjoyed isn't the best word because both of us were quite uh, bizarre experiences um, and terrifying at points. But it was spooky. yeah, spooky. Um, but I hope you kind of liked thinking about. Um, the process of creating them and, and hearing how those um, those ideas of like ghostliness and ghostliness and data informed um, you know the, the things that we produce today um, and uh, I'd just like to say thank you for Aaron who has yeah, obviously been a
1: great a great guest to have on um, oh, thank you, a, man! Thank you for having me. It was yeah, it was a weird, weird experiment, man. But like, uh, enjoyed it. It was, oh, it was great. it was great. It was great It
0: was really fun, you know, having uh, another version to listen to. Um, and Aaron like listened to his music under Czar. It's it's great. Uh, and Aaron also drums for Holy Fifty Seven and plays live and recorded the drums for a new new EP. Um, do, do you do you want to say anything that you're like, currently working on? Any any shout outs or? Things you want to say to listeners?
1: Yeah, um, yeah, that that just, yeah, thanks for having me. That was like a lot of fun. It's been like nice to, nice to do, like, in the, like, I know it's, is it the 4th? It's the 5th of July, so like, the lockdown's kind of eased off a lot, but it's been a nice thing to sort of like, still like, think about, like, in this weird as hell times. <laughs> so, but what else am I working on at the moment? Um, Currently, I'm working on a like commissioned project for the BBC about um, like people's experiences of isolation, like being in quarantine and during the period of lockdown and what that means to them. Um, I've been doing this project with uh, another close collaborator and good friend of mine, Mandeep. Um, he's a rapper and composer, um, and I've just been I've been like co-producing and I'm in the midst of mixing this beast of a project and should be premiering on like PPC radio at some point so if you like keep up to date with my stuff on instagram shameless plug ajd zar that's where you can find me <laughs> on instagram um and then you can yeah just like hopefully hopefully by like august september it'll be finished and ready to listen to it's really unique unique project because we've been working with these a cappella singers and we've done the whole thing in lockdown so we've just been sending files constantly back and forth Mm. like just all the time it's been quite intense and stuff and after this i'm going to get back to working (laughs) like mixing it so um so yeah i'm going to be doing i'm working on that and also uh I'm working on this like Indian influence hip hop project with Mandeep as well under the name uh, Zardeep. So that should hopefully be coming out later this year, um, if not early twenty twenty one. Um it's a proper labour of love that. And yeah, I just I just to do me in it. <laughs>
0: well thank you so much for coming on and it's yeah, been thank great you, having you so much for having me. and thank you to those listening for tuning in to the first full episode of Spectres I hope you enjoyed it and there'll be another episode in probably about a month's time and now I'm just going to close the episode with a listener submission so as you may recall from the introductory episode listeners can submit voice notes or similar uh, where they discuss what ghostliness means to them and I'll adapt them and turn them into musical think pieces and if you want to get involved you can send those to holyholy1957 at com, or dm me on instagram or whatever social media you use and today's submission is from roxy so thank you roxy for sending it in uh, i found that certain words really jumped out at me and it was quite a contemplative excerpt that you uh, submitted and and that actually prompted me to explore the ghostliness angle in a way i didn't really expect initially Um, musically Uh, it has a bit of a different feel to some of the sounds that we've uh, explored throughout the rest of this episode so thank you Roxy and I hope you enjoy what I've done with it and I look forward to being with you all again for the next episode
2: so when I think of ghosts I think of the idea of being haunted by something also the idea of something Something being caught between two worlds when you think of a ghost in a more literal sense. Think of a spirit that's sort of trapped on earth, it's not meant to be on earth anymore. Normally they a purpose and to haunt something or haunt someone. It's someone it's um because their lives really on earth it's or, it's tragic, tragic or unresolved, Um, but I guess in a more uh, general uh, view of the word go. Yeah, the idea of being haunted by something which can be, you know, by something in your past, by something in now, the way you deal with certain situations, um, the way you respond to others, um, and the idea of, of being haunted, I guess, works in that same way. If you have a bad experience in your past, it haunts you in the future, it, it's that easy just to let go of. presence in your life later and the way you go about things with this directly